From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. This year marks the 60th anniversary of the world's most famous alien abduction case. Although it wasn't the first case of alien abduction, the encounter of Betty and Barney Hill in September 1961 on a lonely New Hampshire road is widely regarded to be the first that captured the attention of a nation. And so thrusting the subject of alien abduction into the international spotlight. And although, like every claim of alien abduction, there are skeptics, many consider the account and the Hill themselves to be beyond genuine. Perhaps the fact that they were an interracial couple at a time when many parts of the United States were still very much resistant to integration and equal rights for black and minority Americans would suggest they were not looking for unnecessary attention, especially the kind that would paint them in a negative light. In short, they would appear to have very little to gain from the fabrication of such claims. So we will be discussing the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction case 60 years later. Kathleen Martin is the niece of the late Betty and Barney Hill. She's MUFON's Director of Experiencer Research and a Board of, and a board of Directors member of the Edgar Mitchell Foundation of Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters. Kathleen is one of the world's foremost authorities on UFO contact. She's the author of several books, a featured on-camera commentator and an international lecturer. She earned a BA degree in social work and worked as an educator and education services coordinator while attending graduate school. The 60th anniversary edition of her book, co-authored by the late Stanton Friedman, captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience, will be released in just a couple of weeks, April 2021. Kathleen Martin, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you. It's great to be back with you. I'm doing well. Hard to imagine. 60 years has gone by. Your aunt and uncle, when did they start talking to you about it? My aunt talked to me for the first time directly on September 22nd, I believe it was, 1961. When I arrived home from school on September 20th, my aunt and uncle had had the close encounter with a craft on the 19th while they were driving home during the night. And I arrived home from school, and my mother was on the telephone with Betty and and seeming very concerned because Betty was concerned that a craft had come so close to their vehicle and to Barney the previous evening that perhaps they were contaminated. And so that was the beginning. Within two days, my family drove to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, to Betty's and Barney's home. Barney was not himself that day. He was sitting quietly. My father joined him. Barney was a gregarious person. He was always full of fun and very interested in 
everything that was going on with my two younger brothers and I. I was 13 at the time. So we were uh, told not to speak with Barney that day. But Betty spoke with us about their sighting and showed us the watches that were broken, took us out to the vehicle that had strange shiny spots on the trunk that hadn't been there the day before that were magnetized. So uh, very perplexing. And then I was there to witness the unfolding of this entire event. Right. So this happened just, I guess, south of Lancaster, New Hampshire. They're on their way back from a holiday in Niagara Falls. Yes. And that night, I guess Jupiter was visible in the night sky and there was the, the moon was bright and your aunt sees this light, seems to be tracking them. And that at some point, and they estimated, I guess, what, about 40 feet long. At some point, it's hovering in front of them about 100 feet, but it's so large it fills their entire vision. And Barney gets out of the car. Now, I didn't realize this until recently. He was actually, I believe, packing a pistol, right? He got out, made sure his pistol was in his pocket when he got out? Yes. What happened is the craft surged ahead and hovered directly over the highway, about 200 feet above Betty and Barney. And so Barney had to stop the car in the middle of the road, straddling the line. He grabbed his binoculars. He put the gun that was on the seat into his pocket. He'd taken the gun from the trunk earlier when they stopped, and uh, he feared that bears might be in the area. It was a picnic area. So the gun remained on the front seat of the car. And uh, he put it into his pocket. He stepped out of the car and looked up at the craft. He did not believe that it was possible that we could be visited by extraterrestrial beings. He, he thought that flying saucers were ludicrous. And he was attempting to prove that this is not what he was observing as this craft just hung in the air 200 feet above him. He had his binoculars with him too, right? Yes, he held his binoculars to his eyes. And when he stepped back from the vehicle, the craft shifted to an adjacent field and now descended to within 100 feet of Barney. And he held the binoculars to his eyes. He looked up into that craft. There was a lighted row of windows. And behind the windows, he observed non-human entities They were dressed in shiny black uniforms, and they, all of a sudden, all but one, turned in unison and went to a panel on a wall. Their arms went up. He could see them all the way down to about their knees, and when their arms went out, little fin-like structures started to slide out of the side of the craft, each side. And something began to drop out the bottom of the craft. At that time, he thought it was a rope. Since then, we know that that is the beam that the ETs travel on and take humans on 
into the craft. So anyway, Barney didn't know that at the time, but he was became terrified. Right. He thought that there was a plan for him. He knew that these beings were somehow not human. That's a quote. Somehow right. not human. And and Betty's he, still in the car. Betty is in the car, yes. And he starts running back towards the car. Is this when he also shouts, they're going to capture us? Yes, it is. He ran back to the car in hysterical condition, telling Betty that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. And as he was entering the car that he had left running, he noticed that the craft was traveling in his direction. So he said to Betty, roll down the window and look up. I think they're over us. And so she did. She was expecting to see lights. She didn't see any lights, even though it was a bright light night. The moon was about three quarters full. And all she saw was blackness. So she rolled up the window again. And she said, I don't see them, Barney. And then within seconds, she and Barney heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds that seemed to be striking the trunk of their 1957 Chevy, Bel Air, and it caused the car to vibrate and for a tingling sensation to pass through their bodies. They remembered very little, but found themselves 35 miles down the road with full recall of what they had observed up to the point where Barney stood in the field. And then they had this period of missing time, as if only a moment had passed their 35 miles down the road with spotty memories of a fiery orb that seemed right. to be sitting on the road and of a roadblock. They didn't know where that occurred, but it was part of their vague memories. There was like two hours had elapsed by the time they got home, right? Just after uh, dawn. Yes, they arrived home at 5.15 in the morning. They had an anticipated arrival of between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. So they were missing a significant chunk of time. And you mentioned the watches. They had stopped working. Now, were they visibly damaged or they just stopped working? They were not visibly damaged. They just stopped working. They were wind-up watches. I know that it was 5.15 because when they arrived home, they looked at their watches to see what time it was, and their watches had stopped working. So Betty reset her watch, and she set it to 5.15, which was the time that the clock in her house set. Right. And so that's the time that the watch she was wearing that night is set to. Right, because they, they never worked again, did they? They never did, no. She wound and, it up, and it didn't work. And do you have those watches today, or where are those I, watches? I have Betty's watch. Amazing. They never worked again. And her dress was torn, and there was a strange pink powder present on the dress. Yes. What else? The pink powder grew later. Uh, her dress was torn in several places, at the top of the zipper, in the thick zipper fabric. The hem was torn down on one side, and the lining was torn from waist to hemline. They discovered that the binocular strap that Barney had around his neck 
was severed. And apparently he had pulled the binoculars from his eyes with such force that uh, it severed the leather strap. Also, there were those shiny spots on the trunk of the vehicle in the location where they had heard the beeping sounds or buzzing sounds. So Betty phoned my mother. There was a physicist who was a neighbor of ours. And the physicist suggested that if Betty had a compass, she should take it out to the trunk of the car to see how the needle would react. And so she did. Uh, She started on the side of the car, and there was no reaction. But then when she placed it over those spots, the needle would spin and spin. Mm, If she took it to another part of the car, the needle would drop down. Amazing, amazing. How long did those spots remain magnetized? We're not certain about that. She ended up selling the vehicle to her daughter and her daughter's husband. And the spots were still there when they purchased the car. And then they eventually traded it in. So we have never been able to determine where that car is, what happened to it, or when the spots disappeared. Wow, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that car today? Then there was some rather strange and confusing behavior ensued. They started taking a lot of showers. Yes, well, that was immediately after they arrived home. They felt contaminated. The craft was so close to them. And they thought that they could wash off whatever contamination there was by taking long showers. So that's what they did. And your aunt always had her luggage. I'm not sure when this happened. She was packed and ready to go at a moment's notice. Did that also happen almost right away? Or when did that behavior develop? I am not aware that she was packed and ready to go at a moment's notice. I'm sorry. I I had read an account where she had she had her luggage packed all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I don't think that's true because I think I would be aware of it. I was at her house at least twice a week. I have no doubt that she would be aware of that. So that's (laughs) that's one of those incidents that may be the sounds as if it's apocryphal. But there were in some accounts a report that she was packing her luggage. Anyway, when did they reach out to um, the military base? Is it Peace Air Force Base? Yes, it was Pease Air Force Base in Newington, New Hampshire. And when Betty phoned my mother, the chief of police from the neighboring town was at our home. He was my father's best friend, and he'd stop by for coffee every night at about 5 o'clock. And so he told my mother that the officer from Pease Air Force Base had notified the police departments if they had received UFO reports that they would advise the people to report it to Pease Air Force Base. And so Betty received that message and she called Pease that night. Then the Pease called back the following day and clarified information that they had received. So the report was written on September 21st. The letter, did it make its way to, to Major Donald Kehoe first, or was it Major Paul Henderson that first received the report? Major Paul Henderson 
received a report via the telephone from both Betty and Barney. Now, it was Donald Kehoe, the director of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, who received a letter from Betty and Barney that described their sighting. Betty actually drew the stair-step pattern that the craft was making, the unconventional flight behavior. She also talked in detail about the buzzing or beeping sounds on the trunk of the vehicle and expressed wonder if it might have been Morse code. And uh, she spoke about the entities that Barney saw on the craft that were dressed in black shiny uniforms who frightened him so greatly that he seemed to have forgotten He could not get through this block of what their faces looked like. We're coming up on a break, Kathleen, but when we come back, we'll delve further into this. But I'm just curious about the timing of when they started considering undergoing hypnotic regression so that they could remember some of these blocks. Was it your Aunt Betty more interested in the regression or, or Barney? It was both of them. Okay. And the arranging of that hypnotic regression because it didn't happen right away it was a couple of years later wasn't it it was a couple of years later immediately my father had spoken with barney about that possibility to kind of shake loose that memory of these entities of of the faces on the entities but over time barney developed post-traumatic stress disorder and bleeding ulcers he was hospitalized So uh, he actually took a leave of absence from work because his health had declined and it was connected to this sighting. So uh, he was eventually referred to Dr. Benjamin Simon, a famous neuropsychiatrist in Boston, Massachusetts, who had set up the psychiatric unit at the Mason General Hospital during World War II. All right, we'll pick up on that. We'll also talk about Five nights of very intense, strange dreams that your aunt Betty experienced as well. Kathleen Martin is with us, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, the most famous alien abduction case in history, the 60th anniversary this year and the 60th anniversary edition of her book, co-authored by the late Stanton author, Captured, will be out next month. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Kathleen Martin is with us, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, and uh, the 60th anniversary edition of Captured will be uh, released in just a couple of weeks in April 2021, of course, co-authored by the late, great Stanton Friedman. So, These dreams that Betty had that started, I guess, about maybe 10 days after the incident, can you describe those dreams? Betty had a series of five dreams, and they occurred just before she woke up in the morning. And she was dreaming about conscious recall that she had of the trip. Yet sandwiched in between these dreams were dreams of an abduction, that she was captured and Barney was captured by non-human 
entities that looked very human. The ones in her dreams had kind of a grayish skin, but they looked very Southern European in appearance, about five to five and a half feet tall, thick black hair, eyebrows, normal human features, lips were a little blue, and wearing blue cadet uniforms. That's not, that is not what they remembered under hypnosis, but that is what she dreamed. And she never experienced them again after those five nights. So does it sound to you as if those dreams may have been somehow, I don't know, outside of her control, planted in order to maybe throw them off the trail in terms of, you know, what these entities were? Well, I think it's just typical dream material. When we dream, we might dream, particularly just before we wake up in the morning, about an event that is real, that we experience. But always mixed in with dreams, you will have a little bit of fantasy material as well. So I don't think that the dreams were put there by the ETs. And the reason I don't think that is because uh, as Betty was being escorted back to the car by the ET who had charge of her, he said to her, it would be best we had decided if you and Barney don't remember this. She had wanted to take evidence that had occurred. And Betty said to him, I will remember. If it's the last thing I do, I will remember this. And so I think that that it it was that that was bleeding through into those dreams that occurred very early in the morning just before waking. So in advance of the regression sessions, which again are still a couple of years away, they continue to return to this location on, was it Route 3 in New Hampshire? Well, they were, had been driving on Route 3. So yes, they would retrace their route along Route 3 past Cannon Mountain and Indian Head, and then they remembered being off Route 3. They remembered being on a dirt road. So they traveled on Route 175, which runs parallel to Route 3. I'm sure they took many other roads, too, just attempting to identify the location where they saw the craft and the roadblock. But they were not able to find that dirt road until after they had undergone hypnosis. Mm. And the hypnosis is when they meet Benjamin Simon. Is that like December of 63? Yes. Uh, So when do the actual regressions take place? The regressions began in February of 1964 and lasted for about three or four months. And they were taken separately And while the other one waited in a soundproof room with loud music playing, and Dr. Simon reinstated the amnesia at the end of each session. He did this for two reasons. One, so that they would not contaminate one another's information. He wanted to check out their statements, just as I did in my comparative analysis in Captured. And also, both Betty and Barney had emotional outbursts. They were terrified over what was happening at certain times. And if they had remembered, Dr. Simon feared that it would cause greater anxiety. 
So what did Barney recall first? Because he was the one that got out of the car and approached the craft. What did he recall through regression? Well, first I want to say that Dr. Simon regressed them to the beginning of their trip and through the entire trip, what they saw, what they were doing. And finally, to the point where they found their car on a dirt road and there was a roadblock. What Barney remembered is that the group divided into two groups of three, and three went to Barney's side of the car. Uh, He put his hand on his gun, but he decided not to take his gun because he thought he would be injured if he did. He opened the door, and they took him from the car, and what he remembered then, he had his eyes closed, But he knew he was being supported, but he could not feel hands on him, supporting him. He felt almost as if he was floating, and only the toes of his shoes were bumping along the rocks. Then he remembered that they slid up what seemed like a ramp and bumped at the top, and then he was taken into the craft and to an examining room. Ah, that's interesting. An interesting detail, the toes of his shoes, because when they got home, we mentioned Betty's torn dress. We mentioned the watches, but his shiny shoes, I guess Barney was pretty um, particular about shiny shoes. And and the the, the toes, the toes were scuffed and he couldn't figure out why. And there we have it. Hmm. And actually, he told Dr. Simon that he could not understand how his shoes were so deeply scraped the toes of his shoes. So he didn't use the word scuffed. He used the word scraped, meaning deeply. Right. At what point is he kind of shouting out or yelling out something about those eyes? They're in my brain. That is when he was being controlled, where he was no longer the driver of the car, you might say. He might have been behind the wheel, but there were eyes in his head that were pushing into his head, uh, controlling him. Right. And he recalled a cup-like device placed over his genitals? This is in the examining room. He had a complete uh, exam, uh, which included uh, neurological tests. They were very interested in their skeletal structure, in their muscular structure, Um, They closely examined their hands, their feet, their fingernails, their mouths. And at the end, just before the exam ended, they uh, pulled his trousers down. Uh, They had now learned how to uh, unzip a zipper, apparently, uh, because they had broken Betty's. And uh, they pulled his trousers down and placed a cup-like device over his genitals. Now, there's an interesting detail because he also, he talks about their method of communication. And keeping in mind that Barney is not, you know, interested previously in aliens or UFOs. But when he talks about their method of communication, he uses the term thought transference which is kind of interesting. Why is that an important detail? It's important because they communicated through telepathy. Right, but that's 
we we know that now. We talk about yes. that now. But he he would not have known that, right? No, no, he would not have known that. His and Betty's case was the first scientifically investigated UFO abduction in the United States. And they had absolutely no knowledge of anything that occurred outside the United States. They had no interest in UFOs prior to this. Right, right. And so uh, Betty under regression, um, what is her experience? And we're coming up on a break, so we'll start discussing Betty and then we'll, we'll continue after the break. But what, what comes out during Betty's regression? Well, she, uh, going back to the car, was terrified. She'd never been so scared in her entire life. She put her hand on the door and she was going to attempt to escape into the woods, but she was intercepted. One of the entities pointed something at her and she lost consciousness. Uh, She was taken down a path uh, and then as uh, she woke up, as she approached the craft, and they wanted to take her on, but she fought for her life, and she kicked one of them, and the hem of her dress was torn down, and the lining was torn when she kicked this entity. They regained control of her, took her onto the craft, and placed her in the in a separate examining room, and did the same type of exam on Betty that they did on Barney. Uh, they inserted a needle into her navel? Uh, yes. they Instead of using a cup-like a, a device, they produced a needle. She said, uh, what are you going to do with that? And they informed her that it was only a simple test. They made her understand that it was something like a pregnancy test. And this is before we had developed amniocentesis and it was being used in hospitals. So uh, she said, don't do it. But the examiner plunged the needle into her navel, causing so much agony that Dr. Simon had to end the hypnosis session early. Wow. All right. Kathleen, stay put. We'll take another time out, come back and uh, talk some more. Well, we'll have to get to the star map, of course. Betty's famous star map. That's upcoming. Kathleen Martin, the 60th anniversary edition of Captured. Back with more. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Kathleen, before we get to the uh, the star map, I just want to get a quick question in here from the live chat, the YouTube live chat. And we are streaming live on Strange Planet on YouTube tonight. Uh, Wayne Kozak asks, he's been trying for years to find out about the Hills dog. What effect did this have on on him? That's uh, their dog, Delcy. Yes. Was he, was he abducted as well? As far as Betty and Barney know, he wasn't abducted. Uh, He was uh, squeezed in, shaking as uh, far as he could go under the front seat of the car when Barney was returned to the car. He was returned first, before Betty. All right. And uh, so the dog did uh, apparently uh, develop some anxiety as well because uh, it would... Uh, have sort of nightmares or dreams after that and her little 
uh, legs would uh, be running and she would be yelping. And she also developed a fungus infection on her hmm. back. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, all right. So back to the star map. Zeta Reticuli. Um, first of all, that star map came to her in her dreams initially, didn't it? Uh, she did dream about a star map, yes. Right. But then under the regression with um, Benjamin Simon, then it became more clear. The details came out, right? Was she able to was she able to draw the the star map in in detail after the regression or during the regression? Dr. Simon told her to draw the star map if she could uh, draw it uh, accurately from memory, and it didn't bother her too much. So over the next couple of weeks, she did draw the star map and then took it into his office to him. And so people look, some people have, have said that that star map closely resembles the Zeta Reticuli system. Uh, so th- was that system um, uh, known to astronomers at that time? I, yes, astronomers were aware of it, uh, and there were other stars on the map that uh, were not on uh, the map that Betty uh, drew. Uh, let me Let me step back for a moment and state that Marjorie Fish was a brilliant woman from Ohio who saw that map published in the first book that was ever written about their case way back in 1966 before any of the real investigation was done. Right. Interrupted journey. Yes. And uh, she thought that if this place existed in our galactic neighborhood, that she'd be able to find it. At first, she thought she would have many matches, but after four years, she still didn't have a match for the stars on Betty's map. But there was a new catalog uh, that was published. She went to the university. She wrote down all of the distance data, and uh, she knew all of the properties of the the different stars, Uh, and she had at this point constructed 14 three-dimensional models. Uh, and had done all the math to know where to put each star in its proper location. In one of her models, she had 256 stars in their proper location, out 54 light years from our sun. My word. Un- unbelievable work. She was so patient and brilliant at the same time. Uh, finally, that new catalog... Uh, did have the uh, good distance data, um, and she was able to now add stars on the map that hadn't been there, and lo and behold, she had a match. That's, uh, that's remarkable. And um, so the, the idea that these aliens came from the Zeta Reticuli uh, system um, – I mean, what do we know now about that system? Are are there planets there that could be inhabitable? Well, uh, we still do not have the technology to know a lot about Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 reticuli. Uh, we would only see a, 
you know, a blip from an extraordinarily uh, large planet. Uh, they are in the, the volume of space where uh, there are many exoplanets. So perhaps uh, there are planets there. What uh, is most interesting, I think, is not that Marjorie found this, but that these stars on Betty's map had special properties. All of the stars connected by solid lines and dotted lines are sun-like stars, although only 5% of the stars in that portion of our galactic neighborhood are sun-like. And all of the sun-like stars in that part of our galactic neighborhood are on Betty's map. And then the astronomers who analyzed this said that these are the routes that we would take if we were traveling in space. They were the most logical routes to go to and to stop at. Wow. Just, you know, it it just lends so much credibility uh, to this whole story. We'll uh, take another time out, come back. Kathleen Martin, the 60th edition, the 60th anniversary edition of Captured, co-authored by the late Stanton Friedman out in April. And uh, we'll be back with more of our conversation. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, just a reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, Chris Burris, engineer, scientist from C60 Evo. We'll talk about uh, Carbon 60 and ESS 60, the uh, the purest form, the consumable form of Carbon 60. Kathleen Martin is with us. And again, the uh, 60th anniversary edition of Captured, co-authored by the late Stanton Friedman, will be out in just a couple of weeks. Uh, before we get back to our conversation, I want to just jump in here with another question from our YouTube live chat. Show Me the Truth 74 asks, The aliens seem to follow and watch generations of individuals in some families. Kathleen, have you had any visitation uh, visitations from these intruders? I have worked on two academic-type studies with uh, PhD scientists on experiencers. And what we discovered is that it is generational, intergenerational, in 60% of the experiencers. Uh, Have I had contact? Well, I, uh, I have to say that I believe that I have. Uh, I have memories of it. There was a craft that landed only 200 feet from my childhood home when I was 17 years old. And my mother and I had identical memories of being taken to that craft, terrified. We worked with uh, Dr. James Harder at the time, who was a uh, leading UFO investigator for the for the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. And uh, we insisted that our experiences remain confidential. My mother has now passed away. And uh, so I feel that I'm free to state that, yes, uh, 
she also had a period of missing time when I was a teenager where she would go grocery shopping every Friday night. On this particular night, she didn't come home at the appointed time. She always arrived home at the same time or approximately the same time. On this particular night, we were, my father, my two brothers, and I were very worried about her. And finally, she came in hours later than she, her anticipated arrival. She didn't realize that she was late. They took the groceries from the car, and the frozen food had thawed. The ice cream was soup. So I believe that my mother was taken in addition to Betty. All right. That's, um, I mean, that's worthy of an entire show just on its own. And we'll hopefully have you back soon and, and talk some more about that. But getting back to uh, Betty and Barney uh, and Dr. Benjamin Simon, what were his conclusions after conducting these private and separate regressions with Betty and Barney? He had always attempted to find a common explanation for what had occurred. He knew his conclusion was that Betty and Barney uh, were not psychotic, that they were not suffering from a, uh, a shared hallucination or uh, psychosis. They uh, did have an experience with the UFO. He was willing to go that far. He believed in their honesty, but he stated that he did not feel that he uh, could believe that they were actually abducted uh, until there was scientific evidence to confirm this. So the 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 gray alien connection and 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 this this case, the Betty and Barney Hill case, has sort of become the template, um, you know, for future future cases, but. The gray alien, is, it's been suggested that there was an episode of The Outer Limits featuring a gray alien that happened maybe several days before uh, their, their abduction, and that may have influenced uh, them. Did they, did they see that episode? Did, did they ever talk about that episode? No, they did not watch that show. I, I asked them, and Carl Flock, who was a former assistant secretary of defense, investigated that case and looked through Betty's bookcases, uh, interviewed Betty, and stated after his investigation that, one, uh, she was not interested in science fiction. They did not watch those shows. Nights they were going out to... Uh, meetings uh, on civil rights, on human rights, uh, the church meetings. Uh, they worked on the poverty program for the state of New Hampshire. They were doing many good things for the state. And uh, so, uh, no, they did not see that. Uh, it was the invention in, in the mind of someone who was skeptic skeptical and not willing to accept the evidence right right and there, but previously to their case in 61 because there were i mean this is not the first alien abduction case it's certainly the the most famous the one that brought it to the world's attention but in previous 
abduction cases, let's say from the 1950s, were there incidents involving uh, alleged greys? Uh, no. The, the only previous case that uh, we knew of back, the scientists knew of, was the An, uh, Antonio Villas-Boas case in Brazil. Uh, but that was not known until 1966 or 67, although it happened in 1958. And uh, those entities uh, he did not describe as having gray skin. They were, they, they were somewhat similar, but not really. Um, so, no. Uh, Betty and Barney, as far as I know, were the first ones to uh, have contact with these gray beings. Now, since then, as an investigator and a researcher, I have found other cases where uh, people had contact with the grays uh, dating back to the early 50s. Right. Uh, Barney died so young. Uh, I think he was only 46 from a cerebral hemorrhage. Um, was that at all, do you, do you think, related to the post-traumatic stress of this, this incident? I'm not certain about that. I do know that uh, Barney, during World War II, was involved in a percussion uh, accident or bomb where uh, he, was, he was injured. In fact, his medical record shows that he was in fair condition uh, in Newport News, Virginia, in the military hospital there uh, during World War II. And I have a neighbor who uh, is a medical doctor, and he was a doctor over in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. I think it was Afghanistan. And he was involved in uh, a percussion explosion. And it caused a weakness in a vein in his head, and he ended up having a small stroke as a result. Mm. And I wonder if my Uncle Barney had the same problem, that there was a weakness and uh, that finally it burst. Uh, Betty lived to um, a pretty ripe age, uh, ripe old age of 85, and she died yes. from cancer. Um, towards the end of her, her life, did she shed any new light um, on, on the incident? I had the opportunity to uh, interview her and spend a great deal of time with her because I'd promised her that uh, when she grew old, I would take care of her so that she would not have to go to a nursing home. And uh, we had long conversations. Uh, the, new, the new light, I think, was when I was interviewing Betty and in a very relaxed state, she wouldn't let me put her into hypnosis, but uh, I, she was very relaxed. Uh, she became terrified. She couldn't go on with memories of what had happened on that craft. And, you know, a lot of people, though, think that this was a horrific experience. Betty, 
in her conscious recall, does not be- consider it to be uh, horrific. Uh, she said the entities were kind, that uh, they cared about Betty and Barney. They assured them that they would not be harmed, that they would be released after a few simple tests were accomplished. And uh, Betty ended up saying that of all the experiences in her life, this was probably uh, the one most outstanding experience. Uh, Not only that, but it gave her the opportunity to meet many, many more people that she never would have met if uh, she hadn't had that experience. And I want to say that in this uh, new book, there are extra chapters and new scientific information that we were not aware of when we wrote the first book. Well, people will just have to wait a couple more weeks. The 60th anniversary edition of Captured uh, due out in April. Kathleen, thank you so much for this. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And you can pre-order that book. On Amazon. Yes. and Terrific. All right. Pre-order it, folks. Kathleen Martin. When we come back, the miracle molecule. Stay with us. <laughs> 